All right, fun time's over. Oh, no, I'm just joking. I, last week I said we weren't going to have Bible study, but then I just kind of decided that uh, I don't like not having Bible study if we can, so. Yeah, why not? But I thought what would be helpful for us is um, because there's so many. He's not. He's not bashful, don't worry. Because there's. Bashful member of the Trinity. Yes, very good. Um, because there's so many unique elements it, in, in Holy Week, in the services of Holy Week, um, it probably doesn't bother you as much as it bothers me. <laughs> because, you know, I like to go to church and know what I'm going to have to do. <laughs> and then when you have to, sh- when you, every time you come, you're like, what is it today? Like, today I didn't have it print, I didn't have the reading printed off. Thankfully, Mike had two copies, otherwise I would have had to print it off. Yeah, there's so, there's so many unique elements. Um, it's not easy for children. I don't know if you caught that towards the end of the service. Yeah. Yeah, especially if they go a little bit longer than what you're used to. But the, the kids especially, are, they're inherently liturgical beings. All right? By liturgical, we, I used it a couple times in the sermon. It's not exactly worship. Um, it's ordered worship is actually what it is. Right? So they, they like things to be done in order. You know, It's 11 o'clock, it's lunchtime at, at home. Every day. Yep. Doesn't matter what day it is. Exactly. It's 11 o'clock. It's time for lunch, right? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's not quite worship, but um, they are really sensitive to changes in the service as well. At least I've caught that over my decade or more of ministry now. Um, so that makes it a little bit difficult, if, especially if they go longer than usual. And also, um, I, think it's, I think it actually affects everybody that if... It's one of my mm, principles, I guess, of, of planning services is that I don't want to put words in your mouth that you aren't already prepared to say. Okay? Right, so if I'm, I'm going to ask you to say something, I mean, you could just trust me that I'm not going to make you say anything silly, but I'd rather you not. <laughs> All right? So if, if it's a unique word on a day, it's worth knowing where that word comes from. Uh, and this happens, this is going to happen all week. Not so much on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, I put the calendar up there. You can by no means see that, I'm sure. It's super small. Let's see if we can make it bigger. It's just a website. So zoom in is Apple Plus. Okay, we can do that. Oh, too big. Oh, that's not too bad. We can do the list view. Is that better? Can you see it? There we go. Okay, if you cover one eye. Right, so today was Sunday of the Passion, also known as Palm Sunday. the Lutheran hymnal, you remember that one? Uh, departed from the Lutheran tradition. So for about, whatever, how long did you use this? Probably 70 years. No, it was 1944, 45. You didn't get it right away? You were still in German, okay. You had it all your life, okay. You did. Right, until, well, the, the red, wherever it is, Lutheran service book, I mean, do you, this... This is 12 years old, or 13 years old now, right? 13, I think? Yeah, that's fine. The colors don't matter. You get the idea. The Lutheran hymnal. Now we have the Lutheran service book. Yeah. Uh, this departed from the tradition and made it only Palm Sunday. So you had the Palm procession became the main reading in the middle. You still, I don't know, did, you probably did processions as well with the palm branches. but um, So Lutheran service, well, actually this hymnal, 1984, 82, 84, somewhere in there, restored what we did today, 
but not everybody did it. A lot of people just said, you know what, on Palm Sunday, we're just going to do what we always did, and we're going to ignore what's in the book. <laughs> because that's how people are. That's fine. You can do whatever you want um, within reason. So today we have both the Palm Procession, the beginning of the Gospel. Um, I chose from John because we're going to focus on John this year, but, um, or we've been having our catechesis in John. But uh, it could have been Matthew as well, and then we would have gone right into Matthew 13. So that was there. Monday and Holy Week, Tuesday and Holy Week, Wednesday and Holy Week. We talked about Holy Week already having unique things. We have 9 a.m., 9 a.m., 9 a.m. Um, it's going to be pretty much the order of the congregation at prayer, but uh, you will have a passion reading, and it will be a little long, uh, longer than usual, so maybe 40 minutes or so. So if you want to come, it's worth your trip. It won't be short. But we hear the whole passion from the different accounts, and then you have an opportunity to kind of mentally compare them as we go through the week. Luke especially, which will be on, I believe, Wednesday. Monday is Mark. Tuesday is, Tuesday is only from John because John is the only one who records what happens on Tuesday. So that's why John gets just a chapter on, on Tuesday. But we'll also do a chapter from the, pas- from the later in the Passion for our catechesis. Right? All right, then we get to Holy Thursday, so I'm going to show you that. And it's not fully planned yet, so you'll have to bear with us. I mean, it is fully planned, kind of. All right. So we're going to start with confession and absolution. Um, Normally you do this weird thing called the corporate confession absolution. We did this at Ash Wednesday, remember, where you came up and knelt at the altar and received absolution at the rail? Yeah. I could do that. I'm rather going to do the questions and their answers like we did the first two Sundays in Lent. All right? So we'll confess according to the questions and their answers. So I'm not going to make you read all those. But then you'll note that much like what we had today, it goes straight into a a salutation and collect. I don't know if you can see that. Let's see if I can make it bigger. Kind of panicked. Ethan's panicking. Oh, yeah, that still worked. She put the intro in the bulletin? Yeah, we didn't use it. That's okay. What was the intro from? What psalm? The psalm was Psalm 118. No, it's not in there. Oh, I should put it over here. We're going to make a few mistakes through the week. You can't catch everything. All right, good. So a salutation, collect. So what did we skip? And? Kyrie. Kyrie and, of course, Gloria. Now, on Monday, Thursday, you could do those things. Um, so there's actually two options. And if you wondered why pastors are so all, all over the map, there's Monday, Thursday. These are all the instructions. Okay? So before you even get to the service, it's like, here's all the things you can do. A lot of freedom. A lot of freedom. We have a lot of freedom. But it, um, what I wanted to say is what I said in the sermon, maybe not as eloquently as I'll say now, which is uh, Holy Week is about putting the words of Holy Week on your lips. We'll just say it that way. So that you say, well, and you actually did that in the responsive reading today. I think that's kind of powerful. I'm not a huge like drama person, but there's something about having the words of Caiaphas and Pilate and the people. You know, who else? Judas. Yeah, everybody who re- represents mankind was on your lips. Yeah. Um, there's other ways you can do it, but I, that one seems pretty powerful. That you can join with Judas and understand his betrayal. Anyway, so, uh, salutation and collect. Then we go straight into service of the word. And I'm departing a little bit from 
Lutheran service book, but we're going to use Exodus 24, which is pretty cool. So we're going to do this as a Bible study, by the way. We're going to go through, and I'm just going to note the scriptures mostly. So here, Exodus 24, Moses came and told all the people all the words that Lord, of the Lord and all the just decrees. And the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then, <laughs> what came next, right? Uh, it's like we talked about two weeks ago on, on Wednesday night. Yeah, when you make your confirmation vow. Yeah, that went really well. Right? I'll, I'll remain faithful even unto death. Well, you're all here still, so I'm preaching to the choir, but you get the idea. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. He built an altar with 12 pillars 12, for the 12 tribes. They offered burnt offerings, sacrificed peace offerings of oxen. They took the blood, and the blood he threw against the altar. And the book of the covenant, uh, he took the book of covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. That means he read the book of yeah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Probably not Deuteronomy, which is just the same thing again. Yeah, he read all of it. So. As much as you can complain about an hour and a half service. That's, as much as was done at that point. Like, yeah. Yeah. Everything that he had written. Yeah. It was a lot. Uh, well, by the way, we're going to do this on Easter Vigil in a very brief way. <laughs> Not in an, as complete a way. Uh, where were we? Verse 7. You probably can't read that. And they all said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Well, now you said it twice. Okay, and, the, and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, the blood, or behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. Right? Now, this is really powerful stuff because the next day, what are we going to hear? His blood be on us and on our children, right? Yeah. Which uh, is a great confession. It is a wonderful confession, even though they meant we'll gladly bear the, bear the shame for the, and, the, and the guilt for his death. Right? Because he was not a just man in their idea. Of course, they are gonna, he, does bear, he actually bears all the shame and guilt for their sin. So it's ironic as well. Anyway. Uh, and then you have Nadab and Abihu and Aaron. And they all go up. And this is really cool. They saw the God of Israel. What? They saw, I thought you couldn't see God and live. Well, what? It doesn't say that. They saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet. So I don't think fire has feet. Does fire have feet? Okay. All right. Under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Ah, yeah. 24. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. I mean, you could say metaphoric hand, but sounds like he has hands and feet. They beheld God and they ate and drank with him. Of course, which is what we do in the Lord's Supper. Here's the thing. You can't forget what just happened. Moses sprinkled the blood of atonement on them. They were made holy. They were cleansed. They were forgiven. So they could dwell in God's presence and live. And they beheld the Son of God before he was born. That's a head scratcher, I suppose, but so it is. So it is. Pretty cool text, right? What? He's always been with God. Yeah. Eternal Son of God, but not the... But like we talked about in the devotion, or uh, yeah, you didn't talk about it, but we did online. Uh, he's, not, he's not eternally 
he's the eternal, what do we say in the hymn at the end, the last stanza? The unbegotten one, referring to the Father. Soul begotten Son. Yeah, yeah, soul begotten Son. Only begotten is how we usually say it, right, in the Creed? Only begotten from eternity, but born of the Virgin Mary in time. But he does appear as man. I mean, God wrestles with Jacob. I, I don't know. Does a fire wrestle with Jacob? Does a smoke wrestle with Jacob? Was it a ghost? I mean, he knocked out his hip socket. It says a man, and then Jacob says that was God. Very confusing stuff in the Old Testament. Makes you wonder how many people were expecting the incarnation of Jesus, that he would come as a man. They did. They expected that as Messiah, but did they expect that he would be God? There's plenty of hints, but, you know, as a good mystery novel goes... You don't catch the hints until you get the reveal. And you're like, oh. Then you go back and watch the movie again. Like, now I see. Do you ever see Knives Out? Knives Out? You watch that one? Yeah. yeah, it's like in the style of Agatha Christie. She does it that way, right? It's just like the Game of Clue. Like the Game of, it is a Game of Clue movie. All right. So there's, there's Exodus 24. Good. So now you know that's coming. Psalm 116, another Passover psalm. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? That sounds familiar. Did we sing that? I feel like we sang that. Yeah. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Uh, but then, look, there's more. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We, we quote that at, serm, at funerals often. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be unto me as you have said. Who said that? Hmm. The son of your maidservant. Hmm. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call in the name of the Lord. I feel like we sang this today. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. All right, so you know that because we sing that in regards to the Lord's Supper. We have been, service one anyway. Yeah. Uh, whereas in the sermon, I quoted Psalm 51, which is our offertory from service three, right? Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit. All right. Uh, then 1 Corinthians 11, which we, uh, you remember because we studied on our Wednesday evening Bible study uh, during the scandemic. When was that? Scandemic. Um, probably back in like January or June, July. I don't know. When did we do 1 Corinthians 11? It is. I think that was intentional. You know? Anyway, we studied this so you can go look at it. Um, you probably know 23 and following pretty well. Uh, but I included verses 20 to 22 as well. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So the word of judgment against the church in Corinth. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Right? So we, we talked about this with 1 Corinthians, so that there were people who were going um, before the other people got off work effectively. So the slaves or the poor would be working all day. Um, they would offer the supper to the rich, to those who, could, who had the leisure not to work. The retirees, you know, the rich retirees, maybe, uh, earlier in the day, and they would have a grand old feast and the leftovers they would leave for the people at the end of the day. Yeah, and uh, that destroys the unity of the, of the body of Christ is what Paul's getting after. And that's what he talks about. And he uses the supper as the picture of that unity, right? We eat one bread, we drink one cup. And by that, we, together, proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Which is why, effectively, you know, if we can, if we can all sustain it, we want to continue to have one service, you know, um, on Sunday. 
rather than the, the split Sunday morning and the Saturday night Sunday. I've had it everywhere I've served. Uh, we had it Wednesday and Sunday here. And you just split the congregation. You get a few people that end up being on the periphery then who don't really fully integrate into the life of the church because they don't come on Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, maybe for good reason, but it's still, it's a challenge that I haven't seen anybody able to overcome, actually, successfully. All right, so you have that. Uh, and, of course, this is about receiving it worthily, which Luther tells us what that means, right? What is worthy eating and drinking? Faith. Yeah, faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, right? And faith comes from by the Spirit. All right, and then uh, Psalm 111 for a verse, which will be fun. And then the Gospel according to St. John, which is interesting because you're like, where's the Lord's Supper? Have you ever noticed that on Monday, Thursday? Oh, there's no Lord's Supper. Well, there's no Lord's Supper institution in John's Gospel. It's called Maundy Thursday, Maundy, or Holy, Maundy from the Latin mandatum. Have you heard this before? Okay, Don has. Mandatum, Maundy, because of the text. Um, you can't see it, it's so small. But uh, where is it? Oh, it's not even in this reading, <laughs> which is even funnier. So then we don't even read the text that gives it the name. Yeah, I know. It comes later in John, John 13, which we'll hear on, I think, Tuesday morning. Um, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. So mandate, meaning commandment. That's where the name comes from. Now, this is, this is the context that gives him that commandment. And then, so this is the inspiration for, um, for the Pope. You know what he does on Maundy Thursday? He goes around washing people's feet. But that's not really what Maundy Thursday is about. So we actually get the words from 1 Corinthians. This is Paul's summary of it, of the Gospels. All right. Uh, everything else is pretty normal. Oh, Lord, we praise thee is the name of the day. Uh, service of the sacrament is actually just a complete service, just like what we've been doing. There'll be some hymns, which Ethan has to pick here. Maybe only three. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows how many people will come? Who knows? Maybe we'll need four. Then this is the, this is the, the major... Um, what do you want to say, festival difference, which is the stripping of the altar. Do you remember this from two years ago? And you did it before, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty traditional. I think most people do it. Maundy Thursday. Yeah, this is Maundy Thursday. Uh, it's Psalm uh, 22. And so there we, everything is removed. And the reason why everything's removed, of course, is tomorrow's Good Friday, but... Uh, let's see, I'm not gonna, we're not going to read the whole thing right now. It does take some time. Oh, here it is. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So what do we do? Remove all the clothing, if you like, of the sanctuary. Right? The, the, all the vessels and all the cloth coverings, the pyramids, the vestments, all of that comes off. Vestments are what? Yeah, including the pastor. Yeah, but we don't have a crucifix, so we don't have anything to veil. You could veil the statue, though, of Jesus. So you've probably seen that, right? Churches that have veils over crosses and statues. Yeah, it would have started actually last week. Yeah, at the end of the gospel last week, it said he hid himself from them. And then that, that's the traditional place where you cover all the, all the images. I, uh, I like ceremony, but then I'm like, okay, we have to go have guys bring out two ladders. Yeah. and we have to have, have the veil, and then everybody has to watch, and it takes like 10 minutes. Okay, never mind. 
and move along. We could do it after the service, I suppose. Matthew. Oh, right. As the prophet said, but David is a prophet. That's good. From today. So you'll hear lots of things um, in this psalm then on the next day. Fulfilled, right? So the psalm. And of course, we heard it today in Matthew's gospel. Specifically, what is it? Verse 18. 18? Did I go past it? No, 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 no. My God, my God. That's at the beginning. Right there. Yeah. So remember, we've talked about this, is that Jesus prays his own word. They're his words after all, right? So of course he prays them. Um, and this is the psalm he prayed while he was, one of the psalms he prayed while he was dying on the cross. Why do we know that? Because the evangelists actually record it. My God, my God, why, do you why have you forsaken me? You know. um, and by the way, that's a great lesson for prayer, I think, is um, when you don't know the words to say, use the words God gave you to say. <laughs> right? I mean, if you're in a situation that is similar, at least you feel similar to how Jesus might have felt, or at least, or you're actually legitimately like in a terrible spot, pray Psalm 22. And God will frame your heart and mind to understand. I mean, I don't know if you can say, all who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. I mean, they even legitimate, I mean, they, they, they even quote the Psalm in mockery at him. Just, just like the levels of scripture there is. Then you have to get out a Bible. Start at the beginning. You've got a phone or a computer. I don't know. Whatever. However you want to do it. All right. Good. I think that's good. That's, so that's the end. And note, oh, one more thing. We get to the end. And I'll leave the church in silence. No benediction. I think we talked about that last week. Because Thursday goes right into Friday afternoon. So we'll jump there. Now this one is, that had very little to make, take note of. But Good Friday... Uh, I can't tell which one's which. Tenebrae, there it is. Because I made it so big for you. And it's still not that big, is it? <laughs> All right. So notice, no invocation. You just show up in silence. You left in silence, you come back in silence. I don't know how silent it'll actually be because we have, you know, children who wag their heads and, anyway, to quote the psalm. Thank you. I'm glad you found it funny. Uh, begins with a collect and goes straight into a reading. And now this reading, I say it's from Isaiah 52, 53, but I think I'd actually want to read a different reading this year. So I need to change the text here. Hosea. Like, really? Hosea? Yeah, check this out. So this will be new this year. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in my distress earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will uh -huh, raise us up, that we may live before him. We'll do Psalm 50, or Isaiah 52 in, in the evening at the time of break. Um, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Did you know that there was this direct prophecy in Hosea of the resurrection on the third day? Yeah. That's why I think this is probably should have been the appointed reading, but we love the Isaiah text so much. Well, anyway. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? 
So this is northern and southern kingdom. Ephraim representing the north, Judah representing the south. Your love is like a morning cloud, like a dew that goes early away. Wow. Your love. Something. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. Woo. I, what do you hewn? What gets hewn? Trees. Trees, yes. We could have said, that we, I will fell them by the prophets. Right? Hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as light. This is one of the things people forget, that God's word um, is there's many, in the prophets, there's many different ways, that, especially the word of law is referred to. But Isaiah, for example, says it's like a hammer that breaks into pieces. You feel like God's smashing his hammer on you, <laughs> right? But see, God doesn't destroy to leave only destruction, right? He tears down to build up. He levels. He takes the, what is he, how does it say in the prophetic word, right? He takes the high places and makes them a and the low places, and makes them all a plane, right? That sounds like he's a big excavator. Right? Just plows on through. Or like John Henry. I was watching that video this morning with Naomi. All right. He was a mighty man. Uh, <laughs> For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. For the knowledge of God rather than, the burnt, than burnt offerings. Right? So the key here is that we listen and that we learn from the passion because the sacrifice has already been made in Christ. No further sacrifice necessary. This is, I think, a really important lesson to be made during Holy Week is that we hear over and over what Christ has done for us, not what we do for Christ. And that's really important because that's how, well, the natural religion of every, every person is how can I make God happy with me? Whatever that God is named. And then God, our God, the true God, comes along and says, no, 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 that's not how this works. I make a covenant with you. I make the sacrifice. I sprinkle the blood on you, and actually the sacrifice is my son, and it's his blood that atones for you and forgives you not only now but eternally. Sacrifice over. It's finished. You're welcome. <laughs> right? And then, but, then, but then we're like, but, 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 but what do we do? Like, I don't know. Say thank you. It's good enough, right? What? No, there's got to be more. But wait, there's more. No, there's not more. That's it. Just believe. Yeah, but that's not even you either. Here's the Holy Spirit. Faith is given by hearing. So I'm just going to keep telling you over and over. That'll create faith. You'll believe. You don't even have to do that. Well, then what do we do? Be who you are. Baptize children of God. That's it. Right? And so then the, what the liturgy ends up doing is it, just like we, I said, tried to say in the sermon today, it, uh, it's constantly returning you to the Lord. Like we sing, return to the Lord our God, right? For he is gracious and merciful. Right? and Because that's not what we believe, that he's gracious and merciful. We think that he's demanding and all-powerful. He's like, I don't know, Zeus or Odin or something, right? He, he makes demands, right? And then we have this, but he keeps saying, no, I make a covenant with you. Not you make a covenant with me, but I make a covenant with you. I promise to you. But we want to, pro- no, you don't, all this we will do. No, you won't. No, I'm going to do that too. All right. That was a little sermon, I guess, but and you're probably just now confused. Okay. Then we pray. And then um, Hebrews chapter 4 and 5, also known as Exodus 12. I guess I have some text to fix here yet. Uh, this is the Passover text, right? Exodus 12. So we'll have two Old Testament texts, which is interesting. 
Uh, but a lamb without blemish. A uh, lamb goes on complaining forth. That's so powerful today when you, I don't know, I notice it every time we have the responsive passion because like for pretty much two pages, I don't say anything. If I'm serving to be the voice of Jesus there and I'm silent and he's silent and he's silent. He opens up, ah, I want to, no, I don't get a part. Yeah. Not until Eli, Eli, Lamech, Sabachthani and then I'm silent again. It's really incredible with Matthew, right? So Matthew has that, that, according to Gerhardt, that lamb that goes on complaining forth, the guilt of sinners bearing. You ever think about, if you've ever tried to, I've never tried to, but I've been around when lambs are, are sacrificed. Um, they do complain, actually. They bleat and they bellow and whatever. Not this one. All right. So we have the Passover, right? And of course, um, in the Western church, we celebrate Holy Week, the same week as the Jewish Passover. Um, I don't know if you've paid attention to that. Do you have any Orthodox friends? Passover was yesterday, right? Begins. Be- began yesterday. Began last night. The week of the Passover. The actual Passover will begin on, on Friday night. Yeah. Why would you, do you don't have any Orthodox friends? The Orthodox don't date. They, they celebrate... Um, Easter the same time, the same dates every year, whereas ours is based on the lunar calendar, which is based on the Jewish calendar, so that for the Western church, they thought it appropriate to celebrate uh, Holy Week the same week as Passover, because of all of, well, because Christ is our Passover lamb, but the Eastern church didn't, and then in 1054, they said, since we can't agree on this, we're going to split up. It was actually not that, but that's what they said was the reason for splitting, a thousand years ago, and they're still fighting about it. Anyway, that's, that doesn't sound like the church at all. Yeah, no, there were definitely other reasons. That was the public reason, but it was really more, it was really more political. Um, because, you know, no politics in the church. Huh, that never happened. Okay. Yeah, it was different. Okay, uh, and then another prayer. And then we do the passion, and the passion is different here. Instead of it being responsive, um, it's broken up into parts. And we start with a stanza of Jesus, I will ponder now. Just one stanza, the first stanza, which is good because that's what we're going to do. We're going to ponder his holy passion. Then we have beginning in John 18, and you get a break, then you get a stanza of O Sacred Head, you get another bit, and then you get O Sacred Head. And they actually kind of line up together, so it works out pretty well. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Because John's a little bit longer. It's nice to have it broken up. It's longer than Matthew. At some point here, you stand. Yeah, this is afternoon. All right. Um, The evening service has very little tradition in the Lutheran church, the Tenebrae. It it wasn't really introduced until the hippies, or maybe the boomers, I don't know, 50s or 60s. It's in that era. People didn't do Tenebrae. You didn't do Tenebrae when you were little. You'd go noon to three, maybe. You might have a long afternoon service rather than just like this one, which would be about, about the length of today. Yeah, little half-hour services. Yeah, probably the closest thing we have to a tradition in the Missouri Synod for Good Friday were the seven last words. And we actually have a hymn for that, Jesus in Thy Dying Woes. You know that one? I mean, I guess there, there's probably like at least 21 stanzas because I think there's three stanzas per word. We did, that one here in the end. did we? Yeah. All right. 
Jesus in thy dying world. All right, then another feature of Good Friday is called a bidding prayer. Uh, maybe we'll get Mike to help. Who's, or Ron, you're handling afternoon, Friday afternoon. Are you the elder? Oh, you're Thursday evening? Okay. Um, traditionally, what happens here is somebody offers a bid, and then the pastor prays. So um, a bid is another word for petition. So you would say, hey, pastor, can you pray for the sick and those in need? And then the pastor says, let us pray. And we pray for the sick and need. This was a common way to pray. In the, um, we've kind of lost, lost it. Um, I occasionally have tried to do it with the, with the chapel students. <laughs> the teachers always tell me afterwards, don't do that again. <laughs> because if you start asking, is there something you would like us to pray for? <laughs> it can get pretty wild. Can you pray for my cat? No. Yeah, it's a little bit easier with older kids. But if you have the little kids, you're like, can you pray for, for grandma who died? I'm like, well, we don't actually do that. So then you have to get into this whole thing about... And we don't need to pray for the dead. They're already with the Lord. Okay. Just, so we just don't do that. But, but that's what this is based on. All right. So like, let us pray for the ministers of the word and all vocations in the church, like musicians, and for all people of God. And then there's a prayer. For the catechumens, right? Like Leah. All right. Back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I don't know. if we, I always feel awkward praying for the Congress of the United States, but they definitely need our prayers. But I think the prayer, I'm never happy with the prayers we use, you know, that God would bring swift judgment upon their, upon their whatever. Anyway, that was a joke. Was funny. That God would reveal to us who is actually in charge uh, rather than the, the geriatric uh, whatever was happening. Yeah. Uh, there we go. So bids, bids, bids. Good so far? Nothing there. Too spectacular. There's a lot of it. Then we end with the Lord's Prayer. Um, this is actually according to the, the, it was a Lutheran tradition, but the only people who retained it were the Church of England. And I don't know if you know this, but you'll see quite a bit of this in uh, uh, Holy Week. As many, of the, many of the traditions of Holy Week were originally Lutheran traditions that got imported into England during the Reformation because people like Robert Barnes, um, I'm trying to think other English reformers, Cranmer. They traveled to Wittenberg and they studied at Wittenberg with the Lutheran reformers. Problem with the Church of England, though, is that you had the whole bit with the queens. Remember that? And the king, Henry VIII. Luther actually wrote to Henry VIII and told him it was okay to annul his marriage. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. Somebody asked, you know, Luther, what's your opinion? He's like, well, he's the king and it's a secular state. If he wants to annul his own marriage, he's free to do that because he's the king. <laughs> They're like, well, you can't do that. God, God hates divorce. What are you going to say to the king? <laughs> he doesn't care about God's word. Thanks, Luther. We don't. I mean, we don't. We don't remember that the Continental and the, Euro, and the European reforms were happening at the same time. That Henry VIII was a contemporary of Martin Luther. Really? Yeah. No. Talk back and forth. And like I said, Cranmer, who was responsible for the Book of Common Prayer, their hymn book to this day, the Church of England, studied in Wittenberg with Melanchthon and Luther. There you go. Lost part of the history. The problem is, is that with the, depending on which queen, you got the Protestant queen, who's like, yay, Luther. And then you have the, or Calvin, actually, usually, not so much Luther. Um, yay, Calvin. And they're like, well, we kind of like, no, you, you want to go Calvin. All right, fine, Calvin. And then, uh, and then you have the, 
the Catholic queen. They're like, no, 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 change your mind. Back to Roman Catholic again. And then eventually Henry's just like, you know what? I'm the protector of the faith. And we're just going to make a new church because this is, this is crazy. My wife's keep cutting people's heads off. This is, this is not working out. <laughs> That's probably not exactly how the history went. but Anyway, the bidding prayer uh, is, is from the Church of England, primarily. They're, they're the ones who still do this. We do this... Um, well, we didn't do it, but we'll do it this year. Yeah, this year. Christmas comes this year, doesn't it? <laughs> Eventually, December, right? Uh, for lessons and carols, which we talk about doing um, on Christmas Eve, where we so you get to sing through all the favorite carols and hear a bunch of readings. You get to hear all the gospel. You get to hear all of the prophecy and fulfillment on Christmas Eve, and everybody's happy because they get to sing all their Christmas hymns. And the people who go to the Lord's Supper can come on Christmas Day. That's how it works. It's one way to go about it. We. Because you can't make everybody happy every time. Or you do all the singing, you sing all the hymns, you hear all the readings, and and you skip the Lord's Supper, and then everybody's happy because it's two hours. But that will make some people happy on Christmas Eve. Will make some people happy on Christmas Day, and thereby everybody's happy or nobody's happy. Yeah. You know, so we do the bidding prayer there too. It's a different one, of course, different bids because it's Christmas instead of Good Friday. And then we get this. All right. Um, this is a liturgical response. I don't think it tells you where it's from, does it? No. Behold the life-giving cross. It's in liturgical text. Is that what it said? It probably says it somewhere. Behold the life-giving cross on whom hung the salvation of the world. Nope. Nope. It's just, it's just a liturgical text. It doesn't even tell us where it came from. So we've seen that back and forth a few times. And we'll use the cross that's over... The rough-hewn cross, you know, which I think it actually, the one that has the palms on it, probably still. Yeah. Because we don't have a crucifix, so it's not like I say, here's the one, here's one, with Jesus on it. Can't do that. So, uh, then there's these these things. Have we talked about the reproaches? I feel like we've talked about these. This is the really the biggest thing I wanted to show you today, so... Uh, it's, been, it's been two years since Good Friday, so you, if you were here on Friday two years ago, I doubt you remember what happened. We yeah, haven't figured what's we didn't have service Not last year, two years ago, though. Yeah, we had the afternoon service two years ago. I introduced this. Well, it's been so long, it's like we're starting over again. Yeah. Uh, so, this is really powerful stuff. Uh, I put the music up, I should probably just make it the words so you can just read the words. There we go. Alright, go away! Oh, no! Even worse. Oh, no. How do I get it to go back? How do I get that to go away? You saw my hand. I saw my hand. I don't like this. Yeah. Oh, no, it's still there. There's God. Okay. Um, Thus says the Lord. So I sing this. What? So this is the Lord singing to you. Ready? What have I done to you, O my people? And wherein have I offended you? Answer me. For I have raised you up out of the prison house of sin and death, and you have delivered up your Redeemer to be scourged. For I have redeemed you from the house of bondage, and you have nailed your Savior to the cross. Oh, my people. Where is that in the Bible? That's what we're talking about. Thanks. You're right with me, Ron. Where is that in the Bible? Yeah, song. Try Micah chapter 6. And we studied that. We did. You have the <coughs> Micah 6. It's a, it is a paraphrase. I mean, it's not a word for word, but that's what it's referring to. 
Yeah. O my people, chapter 6, verse 3, what have I done to you? Oh, that sounds familiar. Okay, good. And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. All right, it's right there, right? For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I set, sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember how what Balak, the king of Moab, counseled. I mean, this paraphrased it here. The prison house of sin and death is Egypt. Right? logically. Sounds like hell. Mm -hmm. And what Balaam, the son of Balor, answered him from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself? It's almost word for word from the King James. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thanks, uh, But notice what it does. Is it does take Micah and says, uh, that's not just about Egypt or Balak of Moab or any of the other types, but we're talking about the, the bondage of sin and death. Yeah, right? And now you're sending your Redeemer to be scourged. I redeem you from the house of bondage from slavery in Egypt. And you have nailed your Savior to the cross. Which, of course, then points us to, as Moses, John, Gospel, as Moses lifted up the servant, almost the son of man being lifted up. Yeah. So that, that serpent on the pole is the Savior of the people in the wilderness, nailed to the cross. The rest of that reading is very uh, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we hear, I don't know where else we hear. I think Micah 6, don't we hear in uh, Christmas time? The first part of it, maybe? Or the last part of Micah? Oh, it's not six. It's like uh, towards the end of the book. All right. So, there you go. Those are hard words to hear, though, I think. And then uh, the cantor, uh, Ethan, or whoever's going to sing with him, will sing, uh, Holy Lord God, Holy and Mighty God. You've sung this before, kids, have mm -hmm. yeah, this. Holy and most merciful Redeemer, God eternal, leave us not to bitter death, O Lord, have mercy. And then the congregation responds with the stands of Lamb of God, pure and holy. Then we have another reproach. All right. Well, actually, you know what? It's probably better with the music, wasn't it? Can you read that better? All right, whatever. Thus says the Lord, What have I done to you, my people, and where have I offended you? Just like we heard the last reproach. Answer me. And then here. For I have conquered all your foes, and you have given me over and delivered me to those who persecute me. Those who persecute me, for I have fed you with my word and refreshed you with living water, and you have given me gall and vinegar to drink. So that's referring to the psalm. Um, of course, Jesus himself and John talking about being living water and bread, right? John chapter 6. And you've given me over and delivered me to those who persecute me. Uh, what else might be in mind there? How about an Old Testament? Want an Old Testament? Go to Jeremiah chapter 2. Two. Uh, starting in, yeah, basically verse 2. Yeah, verse 2. These words of judgment we don't usually hear. I was actually kind of referring to it in the sermon a little bit. We don't hear the words of judgment. We don't pray them in church because we don't actually want to say them. 
sometimes we need to say them because it's actually what we're bearing in our heart. And we, if we keep it to yourself, like I said, I mean, I really should pray against the Congress because I actually think they've done us wrong. Uh, Jeremiah 2, verse 2. Is that right? Did I say 2? Oh, verse 6. Let's jump ahead a little bit. Verse 6. Alright, so now we can go a little bit back in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me and have followed idols and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, Where is the Lord and who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, and a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. I brought you into a beautiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness, but when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. See? I delivered you into the land. I fed you. Here it's with my word, right? But notice the promised land is like the word. Uh, and refreshed with living water, and instead you defiled the land. So gall and vinegar are ways of, I mean, vinegar is spoiled wine, right? That's harsh. That's harsh. You've taken the good wine that I made and you spoiled it. And the gall, what is gall? I don't know. We talked about it last week. We did talk about it last week, and I don't remember what I said. <laughs> I looked it up and I remember. Oh, sour wine. It's, a, it's kind of like a sour wine, I think it's some. Oh, no, it's a bitter herb that they added that makes the wine an anesthetic. Right, so it dull the pain. It's like a, probably a precursor to some opiate. Of course, Jesus doesn't need that. Of course, Jesus does not want to dull the pain, right? Just like women in childbirth who don't need the shot. It's like, I want to feel it. But that's maybe not if that's you. <laughs> that's Anne. So, I mean, there's something about actually, the pain actually directs your actions. So, it tells you what's, what you need to do. All right, so you got that. Same kind of response. Holy Lord God, Holy Mighty God, Holy Most Merciful Redeemer, God Eternal, allow us not to lose hope in the face of death and hell. Oh Lord, have mercy. Right? So we have this word of judgment from God, and then we pray for mercy in the face of that judgment. I say this is pretty intense stuff. Lamb of God, pure and holy, etc. Same statement. Okay, then one more approach. Alright. Isn't this from Jeremiah as well? I think so. Thus says the Lord, what have I done to you, my people, and where have I offended you? Again, just quoting Micah. Answer me, then this is new. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? My people, is this how you thank your God? Oh, my people. I know, we want it to be all gospel all the time, but sometimes a little law. Well, if it's all gospel all the time, then, then there's a soft. This is actually Isaiah. That may be in Jeremiah as well, but because they were contemporaries. Uh, Isaiah 5. If you got a Bible, you can jump there. We didn't get very far, but that's all right. This was the big one. I wanted to make sure we hit on Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. Okay, okay. <laughs> my well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Oh, now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, and he's telling you what he's talking about. Judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard than I have done, have not done in it? Huh. That's almost a direct quote, isn't it? 
Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. This is the part we don't say. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also commend the clouds, that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. So, I mean, one of the one of the, the awkward parts about Good Friday, of course, is that in the moment that he's bringing salvation to those who believe in him, he's also bringing judgment on those who reject him. And what happens to Jerusalem about 35 years later? Yeah, and not one stone is left on another. Right? And despite what we tried to do in 1944? What was it? 48, sorry. I didn't go yeah, 48. Yeah, they were still fighting in 44. Let's wait until after the war. Yeah. 44 or 48, whatever it was. Um, yeah, it's a nice idea uh, that we give them that land, but it's not. God's never promised that he's going to restore Israel. Sorry. If you're a messianic type person, the Messiah already came. And uh, Israel's judgment is already. Been. And as long I mean, I don't, think I don't think the mosque is going to be replaced with a rebuilt temple. It's not going to happen. That's God's judgment against Israel. Um, that's not being anti-Semite, by the way. The rejection, it's, we're talking about those Jews who reject Jesus. Which is as much anti-Semite as I suppose as it's anti-everybody. -every, <laughs> right? it's, it's non-specific as far as uh, heritage. If you reject Christ, then this is, your, this is your judgment. Not one stone upon another. Right? Because why? Bring forth good grapes, and what does it bring forth? Alright, in the face of that judgment, you sing again, or the cantor sings, Holy Lord God, holy and mighty God, holy and most merciful Redeemer, God eternal, keep us in steadfast and true faith. The Lord have mercy. And then, where is mercy? This is why we respond this way every time to the reproach. In Jesus. In Jesus. In Jesus. So we sing the same thing each time. I am of God, pure and holy, go on the cross and suffer. What? So the reproach could also be Kyrie. The reproach leads to the Kyrie. Oh, the Lord have mercy. The judgment of God's law leads us to cry out mercy, and then the congregation sings the gospel. Got it? Law gospel. Here's the gospel. Right? Whatever this reproach is that God speaks, your response to God when he disciplines you, as you say, but Jesus. Does that make sense? He says your sins, and you say, but Jesus. Or we could use the hymn, I am baptized. And you're like, but, no, but Jesus. You're like, really, would God talk that way to you? He does to the Canaanite woman. Right? I was not sent to anyone but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She's like, but, have mercy. He's like, yeah, but you're a dog. But, I won't promise. He's like, okay, great is your faith. That's exactly what we're So you see how Jesus leads her to trust in him and him alone. I mean, that's what he's doing with these reproaches as well. So as severe as they sound, they're again, they're just putting into your on your lips and into your heart, or actually it's the way around. Pay attention. Should I pay attention to my own sermon? Into your heart and then on your lips. Alright. Get the order right, right? Heart and lips. And then uh, then there's a just a liturgical text again, I think. 
Yeah, it's not, there's no citation. I don't know where this comes from. Um, but again, it's an old ancient hymn, but we sing it responsibly like a song. And then we sing another ancient hymn, Sing My Tongue of Glorious God, which is Fortunatus, right? Okay, Fortunatus yeah, is the next one. After. Yeah, we sing two Fortunatus hymns from the 3rd century or 4th century. Fortunatus is 4th century. So 1,600 years the church has been singing this on Good Friday. But you had a long train of witnesses, as we sometimes call them. Sometimes we say the cloud of witnesses. We say the train of witnesses. Yeah, there's, well, was it? Was just it jump the on the train. Was it the Son of God that goes forth to the Lord that mentions his train? Oh, yeah. Who follows in his train? That's right. Yeah. Ethan knows him. <laughs> uh, but I love this last stanza. This is the beautiful stanza. Faithful cross, true sign of triumph, be for all the noblest tree. None in foliage, none in blossom, none in fruit thine equal be, symbol of the world's redemption for the weight that hung on thee. So the cross, which is an instrument of torture and shame, is transformed into a noble tree that, that bears fruit that is Christ's forgiveness for redemption of the world. Which we actually say here in the preface, the proper preface. It is good, right? You heard this this morning already. That we should at all times and all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who accomplished the salvation of mankind by the tree of the, there it is, cross, that where death arose, their life also might rise again, and that the serpent who overcame by the tree of the garden might likewise by the tree of the cross be overcome. I know I sing it, so you probably don't catch it, and it's not up on the screen, but there's the words. How do you read? Yeah, so the connection there is that sin came into the world through one tree. And now through another tree, which happens to be dead, right? It's a cross, but actually life comes by that tree. So you have that great reversal happening. Yeah, our world is undone, is made done, is not done. Our tree of life. Our tree of life is the cross. That's correct. Yeah, we don't need to go back to the Garden of Eden. We go to the cross for, for life. Okay. Uh, our Father, good words of the Lord, our good distribution, fine, some hymns, and then we sing the royal banners forward go after a prayer, but we don't actually get a benediction. Oh, this one, had, it's the same composer, so, you know, he has his things that he likes to talk about. O tree of beauty, tree most fair, ordain those holy limbs to bear. Gone is thy shame, each crimson bow proclaims the Lord of glory now. So there's the cross actually red. Yeah, and you asked earlier, Maybe right the you asked earlier about him talking about um, the holy root, about um, the blood and water flowing. Oh, blood and water. That, that, that is, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, there's blood and water on this one, too. Uh, Life's torrent. Right here. Life's torrents rushing from his side to wash us in the precious blood where flowed the water and the blood. Right? We've, we've talked about that. I don't remember what What? My hymn number is that? Hymn number 455. The royal banners forward go. Right? So this is this weird idea that Jesus wants to triumph through death and that actually the standard bearer of, of, of um, the Christian's triumph is the cross of Jesus, which is why when you have a procession, you process with the cross. Especially if it's a cross with Jesus on it. Like, right. That's who we follow after. Like, that's backwards. But no. No. That's how you win the victory is through Jesus' death. Alright. Uh, I'm gonna give you like can I just give you like two more minutes? You know what two minutes means by a pastor, right? <laughs> okay. I no, I promise. I promise. Uh, okay. I don't know if I prepared this already. Oh I kinda did. Okay. I'm gonna go really fast. So but it's the big stuff. It begins with a service of light. This is the Saturday night service. We start outside. It looks like the weather's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be nice. 
Um, we have a special candle just for this, a Pascal candle. So, uh, so, so these wax candles, so it's beautiful. Uh, it takes the place of the baptismal candle for the season of Easter. And so we use that as a baptismal candle if you happen to need to be baptized. None of you in here, okay. Uh, there's all sorts of things with that candle. So where you mark it and you say some words and things. And then you all light your candle off of the Paschal candle. And hopefully it's not too windy. We might have to come to the narthex for that part. And then we all process in with candles. So make sure we have the candles out. I don't know if I relay that to the altar field. One more thing. Then pastor sings this uh, this uh, song that's only at the Easter Vigil. It's called the Exalta, uh, which is really beautiful. But I'll spare you it. Uh, yeah, I'll just spare it to you now. But it's it's in the same it's with the same tune as the preface during the Lord's Supper. Our Lord Jesus Christ, that one. All right, that's what we sing it to. Uh, we, did it, we did it last year. We did it online last year. 